Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Hopefully you're doing well. Thank you for watching or listening to this. We're going to continue our series the day after Christmas. I don't know if you're a parent or a grandparent, or maybe you're an aunt or uncle, maybe you're a special friend. And you get excited, you get encouraged when your kid, your grandkid, your nephew, your niece, they place their faith in Jesus, right? They pray the sinner's prayer. It, it goes maybe like this. God, I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died for my sin. I believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen. And then it's like they're saved or they're born again. And you're like, man, that, that's awesome. And when I was a kid, I, I was so scared constantly that on the 14th stanza of just as I am, at the invitation time, I would like be the person that would raise their hand and get saved again and again. Why? Because one, I wanted to make sure I wasn't sure, but then the other thing is I wanted it to end. I wanted it to end. And I think as parents, we kind of do the same thing with our kids. We want our kids to understand what it means to place their faith in Jesus. And if we're a Christian, we want our kids to be a Christian. If they know how to read, I think we're, we're kind of done. And when our kids wonder from their faith, that early decision reassures us as parents and grandparents. Well, you know, they placed their faith in Jesus. They're good. They're, they're going to get into heaven. And the focus is entering into heaven someday. But when you follow Jesus through the Gospels, the emphasis is very different. The emphasis is not about entering something someday. The, the focus is participating in something right now. See, when we reduce Jesus to a sin forgiver, a ticket to heaven, we opt out of his primary call on our lives right now. See, see, instead of just being believers, he's calling us to be participators. We become believers rather than participators. And in the first century, those two terms, they were synonymous. You were a believer and you were a participator. It wasn't an and or. It was an and. It wasn't an or. It was an and. And first century believers stood up for something that they were willing to die for. So not only were they willing to die for it, they were willing to live for it and live it out. And the thing that they stood for, the thing that they believed, the thing that shaped their worldview, the shaped their perspective, the shaped the way that they lived was this, that with the birth of Jesus, a king was born. And that's something that we overlook. See, that brings us to what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. We started it last week, and the day after the first Christmas, everybody was ready to get back to normal. They didn't know it was Christmas. It was just chaotic. And the reason why is in, in an effort to update the tax base, Caesar Augustus decreed a census should be taken. So this is how the story goes, and this is Luke, who's a doctor who turned into a journalist, and this is what he wrote, and this is, this is historical. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Like everyone had their place of birth, and they had to go to their place of birth for the census. And that set the stage for the very first Christmas. Remember, there was no Christmas because there was no Christ. Right? There was no Christmas. It was just chaos. And then in that chaos, a child was secreted into the world. It was born in the world. Not just a religious figure, but a king. And according to the conversation that the angel had with Mary, it went like this. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive 
give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And we, we talked through that last week. And the big picture is that sometimes we reduce Jesus to this religious figure. But that was not the case in the first century. Hundreds of miles from Bethlehem, there were educated, politically connected men who looked for divine messages in the movements of the planets and the stars. And they identified a new star, and they were convinced that it signaled the birth of a Jewish king. It would be the Messiah, and the Messiah was God's last and forever king. And so, it was a perfectly executed plan that God secreted his son into the world if it weren't for those educated, politically connected men we refer to as the wise men or the magi. They were confused. And Mary and Joseph's secret would have kept secret for, uh, for about 30 years until Jesus went public in his ministry. So here's what happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, the Jews already had a king. It was Herod. And Herod's like, I didn't, my wife's not pregnant, not that I know of, so this is, this is really interesting. And you just said that he's born, and obviously my wife wasn't pregnant, she didn't give birth, so this is very concerning. And he was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. A king was a very big deal. Like a birth of a rabbi, a, a, a religious figure, a teacher, a prophet could have been dealt with, could have been handled, but not a king. The birth of a king signaled a regime change and likely would bring insurrection and civil unrest. And the birth of a king was a threat to Herod's legacy and his dynasty. And so this led him to call a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and ask, okay, I know there's a Messiah. I believe that God is going to have a Messiah. Where is he supposed to be born? He was educated enough to understand and they said, about six miles from here, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. And we're going to unpack this in our alignment study next year as we go through the story of Joseph and Judah. Really fascinating. Those two brothers and how it led to Jesus. Really cool. But here's how the story goes. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the, when the star first appeared. And, and so he wants to know, okay, what's the age of this child king so that he could plan accordingly, right? Not that he would come and worship him. Like he wanted to know where he was because, listen, this guy reigned for 40 years by being proactive, decisive, and ruthless. He wasn't one to just sit by and wait to see how it, how, how it would shake out. And this is where I think our lives intersect with Herod's life. Like us, he had no problem asking God to forgive him. Like he would ask forgiveness from an invisible God. Like he rebuilt God's temple for that very purpose. He had no problem seeking forgiveness at all the religious ritual. That's one thing. 
But to submit himself and to surrender his will to another king, never. He, he, would, he would never do that. And that's where we're attempting, right? We want to keep heaven and we want to keep earth separate. You know, God, do your thing and let me do my thing. As long as I get to heaven, as long as you forgive me my sins and I'm in heaven, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I, I want to do my own thing here. And guys, we have been so distracted about things that won't matter, that don't matter, and they're distracting us from the most important thing. Listen, Christmas signifies that that is no longer an option to keep heaven and earth separate because heaven had come down in the form of a baby king. God, heavenly, took on an earthly body. Heaven and earth met. They were connected because of Jesus. And Jesus would establish a kingdom in this world, but not of this world, but for this world, that men and women were invited to participate in. So the story continues. And then Herod told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back so that I can, quote, go and worship him, end quote, too. I mean, we all know, we're all all reading the story, knowing that's probably not going to happen. And after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Then it went ahead of them, stopped over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. So this obviously did not happen in the inn, in the barn, when Jesus in the manger was well after. And they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasure chest, they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See? These politically connected men did something that they only did to kings. They bowed and they worshiped. And they did this in front of a child with its mother. See, God had become flesh to dwell among us and demonstrate what he is like. And and John would later describe that Jesus was his grace and truth all the time, love personified. And then when it was time to leave, they return to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and its mother. The angel had said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And this fulfilled what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. See, this was predicted hundreds of years before that God's future and final king would come out of Egypt. The same thing was predicted, what we're going to read next, of what Herod was about to do by by Prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years before. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men outwitted him. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. 
It's called the massacre of the innocents. And it would have been consistent with, with, with Herod's ruthless character. This is a guy who killed his own son. Because they, he thought they were going to betray him. And so what are nameless and faceless boys to him? For him to kill them would have been within his reasoning and character. See, bad things have been happening to good and innocent people for a very long time, ever since sin entered the world. And listen, our faith does not require us to, to look away from cruelty, injustice, and suffering. And it's part of our story, it's part of the Christmas story, and woven in the fabric of the Christmas story. Bad things happen to good people doesn't contradict what we believe. At the end of Jesus' life, the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. And as followers of Jesus, man, we are required to look at the cruelty, the injustice, and the suffering of the world. And it's a reminder to us of why Jesus was sent to us. God sent his son, a king, to lead and instruct us to a different way of living. And it's the reason God sent Jesus and the reason we have Christmas. And so Herod, in his refusal to bow before the baby king, he became a footnote in the story of a birth of that very king. It would be 40 years of days after Christmas before the Gentile world would felt the tension between heaven and earth colliding through Jesus. And more than 300 miles north of Jerusalem in Syria, in the, in the city of Antioch, a new term had been coined in response to a disturbing new political movement. See, Greeks and Romans were choosing this new king called Christ. And it was disturbing on several fronts because years earlier, this king was executed by Rome. And now they considered him a god. But unlike the pagan gods, he did not demand sacrifice. Instead, his followers believed that he was a sacrifice for sin. See, Jesus was the king who demanded something else, only what an actual king could demand, allegiance and obedience. And in the pagan religion, the secular and the spiritual were separate realms. Gods didn't care how you behaved. Rome didn't care who you worshipped. They cared about two things. You worship your gods, but you obey Caesar. See, in Antioch, there was a group of people who chose a different path, that this didn't work for them anymore. The divine and secular had collided in a Jewish rabbi, and the citizens in Antioch were, weren't changing religions, they were changing allegiance. And they were to a king who invited them to a new way of living, an other's first way. And his followers would, would, would give without expecting to get paid back. They bound themselves by oath not to commit fraud, theft or adultery and to commit to carrying one another's burdens and they chose to forgive they would rather gather the first day of each week before work not to sacrifice to their god but to sing songs of gratitude for the sacrifice that their god and their king had made for them they ignored all the cultural distinctions in the caste system of that day. There were no distinctions, distinctions between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave or free. They called each other brothers and sisters. And one of their leaders, Peter, 
He wrote a letter and described it. He said that they were joint heirs of a kingdom. See, there was no distinction made between them. They were joint heirs. That this king allowed them to be part of his privilege. See, the most surprising of all was that their king insisted that they submit to governing authorities as their God and king had done. See, this wasn't a religion. This was a revolution. But what do you call these people? And Luke tells us it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And this meant partisans of Christ. In the first century, Christian was a political term, not a religious one. See, they weren't people called the uh, Marcinians or the Zeusians or the Jupiterians. Man, the term was based on the Latin political terminology. It was to distinguish them from other political associations. You had those who were Caesarian, those who were Herodian. It was a follower of Herod or a follower of Caesar. They had switched parties. Eventually, to be a Christian would mark a person who was anti-Roman. See, they were persecuted not because of what Christians believed, but because of whom they choose, chose to obey. And Herod understood what was at stake, and he resisted. The Magi saw the signs and chose to worship. The people in Antioch heard the news, understood, and changed their allegiance from Rome to Jesus. And they followed and they participated. It wasn't that they just believed and they kind of went on their own way, but man, they followed by believing and participating. See, Jesus was more than a forgiver of sins and so much more than a religious icon. He was their king who they pledged their allegiance to and they chose to obey. See, Jesus was born a king. He is a king. He's the intersection of heaven and earth, God personified. And the question that I want us to ask yet again this week, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? See, forgiven people didn't change the world. The forgivers changed the world. See, followers changed the world. Participators did and shaped Western civilization. There were men and women with holy discontent with how the world was and the way people were, were treated. And they embraced Jesus' kingdom ethic and lived by it. And where it took hold, the world became a better and safer place. So, not be careful using this slogan. But do you want to make America great? Do you want to make your community great? Do you want to make your home great? Do you want to be great? Do you want to be a light to the world? Do you want to be a light to your community? Are you willing to change parties and shift your allegiance? Because submitting to Jesus, who came to reverse the order of things, is the way that it works. Because when we submit to Jesus, who invites us to love one another, the way that he loves us changes everything. And John knew the king, and he summed it up best. He said the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Listen, it didn't then, and it won't now, and it never will. The day after the first Christmas, Christmas wasn't over. It was just the beginning. And a king had been secreted into the world, and is he your king? See, Jesus has invited you to participate in his kingdom. 
He's invited you to change your allegiance, to bow, to submit, to follow, and to participate with him as your king. He's invited you to participate in his kingdom, the kingdom of God come to earth, and he wants you to be part of it. And this Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of the king, the question for all of us is, is he your king? Have you chosen to participate in the everlasting, never-ending kingdom of Christ, our Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to dive into the meaning of Jesus' coming. Lord, we're so thankful that he came, that he connected heaven and earth. God, forgive us for living lives that have tried to separate heaven and earth. And we try to do our own thing and we're kind of waiting on heaven. And we, it's sort of on the back burner. It's not in the front of our minds. God, that we would live, that we would live with Jesus as our king, that we would pledge allegiance to Jesus, and that we would choose to obey him because he is the perfect king. He is the perfect king. And thank you for providing us the Holy Spirit to live out the qualities and the ethics of this kingdom. Lord, it's not easy. The culture can be loud, it can be distracting, but Father, help us not to be distracted by the authority of King Jesus. Help us not to manipulate King Jesus into what we want King Jesus to say. God, help us. Help us to follow by pledging our allegiance and following by choosing to obey our King. And Lord, for those who have yet to make Jesus their king, I ask that they would recognize that nothing has worked for them. That there's a reason why they're hearing this message. There's a reason why they're watching this message. And I ask that you will remind them that they have no hope without you. That their sin is going to just lead them to a very destructive path. But you have provided them hope through Jesus. So Father, will they trust that? Pray that they do. In Jesus' name.